2 Samuel chapter 13, I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of a portrait of a dysfunctional family. An amazing story that's given to us here in 2 Samuel 13 that I think has a lot of instruction and warning for us if we'll listen, we'll listen to what God has to say and if we'll do what He wants us to do. You might say this morning, preacher, what is a dysfunctional family? Well... Some of you might just look in the mirror this morning, <laughs> and I hope when you do, you'll say, that's not me. <laughs> but a dysfunctional family is a family that doesn't function properly. Pretty simple and pretty easy. A family is supposed to be a place where you experience love, where you're nurtured and affirmed and encouraged and kindly confronted and build each other up. Family ought to be a launching pad where a person gets a greater start to be and to do all that we ought to be and ought to do for the glory of God. But tragically, that's not all the way it is. It's not always that way in our families, is it? Sometimes home is not heaven on earth. Sometimes a family is a place where people are put down and criticized and discouraged and abused and neglected. We call that a dysfunctional family. Knowing that we are all sinners, and basically, because of that, we have this thing of selfishness in us, I think then we can understand that every family is probably a little bit dysfunctional. Every family. There was only one family in all of history that was totally dysfunctional, or that I guess I should say that wasn't dysfunctional, and that would be in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. But you know what? It wasn't long even in that family when dysfunction began to show up even there. While every family is a little bit dysfunctional, because we live in a fallen world and we are fallen people, there are some families that are highly dysfunctional. Some families that struggle more than others. And apart from the marvelous grace of God, people that come out of those types of families would have deep scars that sometimes will follow them and will hinder them for the rest of their life. And so this morning, I want us to talk about a portrait of a dysfunctional family. Now, this subject this morning that we're going to talk about is not necessarily a pleasant subject, but we're going to talk about some real problems in our society and in our world and even in our own homes this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 13 deals with some of those problems, and they're problems that in that chapter are also frighteningly common in our world today. Neglect. Lack of discipline, poor communication, uncontrolled anger, bitterness, drunkenness, violence, incest, rape, physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. They're all there in this story in 2 Samuel chapter 13. Now understand that there may be some people here today that you would say, preacher, I have been sheltered for all of those, from all of those things for all of my life. And I say to you this morning, you ought to praise God for that. Amen? 
I'm thankful that I was raised in a preacher's home. It's all I knew going to church and living for God and serving God. I've been going to church since nine months before I was born. And I'm 73 years old and I still go to church, amen, and still love it. Some of you may be even shocked that as a pastor, we would have to deal with some of these things that are talked about in 2 Samuel 13 and have to deal with them sometimes quite often. We live in a tragic, messed up world, don't we? And a lot of my message this morning may be unpleasant, but I'm so thankful that we have a, a Bible and we have a God that deals very carefully with the problems that people face. So this morning, I want us to look at some of those problems. First of all, I want you to notice the people in this story. The people. Look at verse number one with me. And it says, and it came to pass after this. Now, when I read that phrase, after this, I want to find out what this is after. Amen? It says, what I'm about to tell you, this tragic story of chapter 13 is after something else that has already taken place in chapter 11 and chapter 12. Chapter 11 and chapter 12 describe the terrible sin of David and Bathsheba and Uriah, how he was involved in that situation. And there's a connection in that because David is totally forgiven and yet there's some natural consequences that come because of his sin. For generations... People were harmed because of what David did. And David was simply reaping what he sowed. And could I say to you this morning, we always do. We always do. You cannot play around with sin and get by with it. So the people, notice with me if you would, an indignant son. There's an indignant son, verse 1 says, it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, before the chapter is over, Absalom is very angry. He's angry at his father. He's angry at his brother. And the heartbreaking result of his anger ought to be a warning to every family here today of the results of uncontrolled anger. And so we have an indignant son. Secondly, we have an indulgent father. He tells us that, he goes on in that verse and he says, Absalom, the son of David. David's the father. David had a terrible time saying no to his children. How many of you understand that's a problem? Amen? He had trouble saying no to his children. When they needed to be disciplined, he failed to act. Their disobedience and rebellion and undisciplined lifestyle were a direct result of David's weak leadership in his own home. Now, I know we think of David as a man after God's own heart, and he was. But David had some problems in his home. And then we see an indiscreet daughter. Tamar is mentioned here. It says, Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. Tamar was as naive as she was beautiful. Her ignorance got her into a dangerously vulnerable situation that will scar her for the rest of her life. Now I want to say, and I'll say more later on, but I want to say to dads, we have a responsibility to protect our children. 
especially from situations like this. An indiscreet daughter. And then we have an intemperate son. An intemperate son, Amnon, is mentioned in verse 2. It says, And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. Amnon was a spoiled brat. How many of those do we have here today? No. You either raise your hand or you're pointing at somebody, right? I know who that is. Amnon was a spoiled brat. Not only that, he ran with the wrong crowd. And he was addicted to lust. The fact that Amnon never learned self-control and self-discipline ultimately brought about a violent, premature death for himself. So we see a little bit about the people in this story. Secondly, I want you to notice the plot. There's a plot in here, and you find out that that plot has to do with, first of all, with Amnon's problem. In verse number 2, it says, Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister, for she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, and Jonadab was a very subtle man. So here he tells us that in verse 1, she's, he has a fair sister. Verse 2, he is vexed and fell sick for his sister. He fell in love with her, and that was an unlawful love. It was an unlawful love. You say, well, what's the problem? You have a beautiful woman, you have a rich bachelor, but the problem was that Amnon was Tamar's half-sister or half-brother. According to Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 9 and Leviticus 20 and verse 17, marriage for them was forbidden. The whole problem that's going on here with, with this half-brother and half-sister and what they're getting involved in all of that stems from a problem that David had. And David's problem was polygamy. He had many children from many different wives. God's plan has always been one man for one woman for one lifetime. And I might add one biological man for one biological woman for all of a lifetime. A few years ago, we'd have never thought we had to say something like that, would we? It's the dooming effect of sin coming back to haunt him. Amnon loved someone that was off limits for him. Let me ask you a question. Does that ever happen today? Do people ever become attracted to somebody that is off limits? Do Christians ever feel attracted to somebody who's off limits? What about a saved person who's attracted to an unsaved person? What's the Bible say about that? 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, be, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? A person who is saved, to be attracted to an unsaved person, is a person who is off limits for a saved person. What about an attraction to people with different values and different goals than you have? Amos chapter 3 and verse 3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? What about a married man or a married woman who feels attracted to somebody other than their wife or to their husband? That's off limits. Amen? All you have to do is go back to the Ten Commandments. 
In Exodus 20 and verse 17, the Lord said, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, or husband is implied there. You're not to covet your neighbor's husband. Galatians 5.19 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. And then he goes on and says, Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. God lists some things, and he said, if you are doing these things, he said, you're not saved. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. We think about the lists a lot of times of the fruit of the Spirit. There's love and joy and peace and long-suffering and so forth. But the Lord gives us a list of the, of the works of the flesh. And he says in chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, listen to what he says there. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. It's interesting. He says there, Unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers. He uses the next word, the, he says, nor effeminate, the the Greek word there is malakos, which is of uncertain affinity. It was a boy that was kept for homosexual relations with a man, or a male who submits his body to unnatural lewdness. And then he goes on and says, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That Greek word means one who lies with a male as with a female. It's a sodomite or a homosexual. Verse 10, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now some people would stop there and say, wow, these people don't have a chance. But look at the next verse. And such were some of you. But ye are what? Ye are what? Washed. But ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Aren't you glad for verse number 11? 1 John 1, 7 says, The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from what? All sin. I'm glad God can forgive and can cleanse, and people can get their lives messed up, and it's an indication that they may not be saved, but thank God He can forgive us and cleanse us and make us a child of God. My question again is, does this ever happen today? Are people ever attracted to somebody who's off limits? I won't ask you to raise your hand this morning, but I have a suspicion that many people in this room, if you were honest with yourself, would admit that sometime in your life, you felt an attraction to someone who was off limits for you. What do we do when there's that spark or that attraction to somebody who's off limits how do I deal with that? What do I do? Let me give you five ways to deal with that attraction. I know that that's never happened probably to any of you, but you might know of somebody that it's happened to, and you might be able to help them. How do we deal with that? First of all, acknowledge its insignificance. When you're attracted to somebody that's off limits, acknowledge its insignificance. You say, wait a minute, Brother Tim, if that's me and and my mate is attracted to somebody else, that's not insignificant. Well, listen, hear me out. Typically, when the spark is there to somebody else, our 
immediate response is, oh no, I married the wrong person. Or I should have waited a little bit longer. Or this is the one I should have married, not that one. Or I got the wrong one. No, don't be silly. It's the fickle chemistry of the moment. It is insignificant. Sometimes that spark happens. It's insignificant. You've got to say, that is not insignificant. This is what God wants for me. Secondly, refuse to consider the possibility or even to think about it at all. Don't dwell on it. Don't think about it. It's not wrong to be tempted. I cannot control what pops into my mind, but I am responsible for what stays there. Amen? It's not a sin to be tempted, but it is a sin to favorably entertain something in my mind that is wrong. I can't control, in other words, who knocks on the door, but I can control who I let into my house. Amen? Somebody said, I can't keep a bird from landing on my head, but I can keep him from building a nest there. So, we must refuse to consider the possibility or even think about it at all. Thirdly, reject any action at all that could deepen or encourage that relationship. Reject any action at all, whatsoever, that could deepen or encourage that relationship. You don't smile at them. You don't wink at them. You don't flirt with them. You don't give them a ride somewhere by yourself. You don't go out to eat with them. You do nothing. Reject any action that would deepen that relationship. Number four, replace tempting thoughts with prayer and meditation. Replace tempting thoughts with prayer and meditation. If you're attracted to somebody who is off limits, the first thing you ought to do is pray for that person. Just stop and say, Lord, would you help that woman or would you help that man? If they're married, would you bless their marriage and help them to have a good godly marriage? Lord, if they're not married, would you help them to find a godly mate who will help them to live for God and serve God? And Lord, if they're not saved, would you help them to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? And all of a sudden, we began to lift the whole situation into a new level in which we began to pray for them. And then get some Bible verses, some scripture into your mind and meditate on it. Psalm 119, verses 9 and 10 and 11 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Get some verses in your mind. I was talking to somebody yesterday and I said, Get 1 Corinthians, no, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I believe it's verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Get some good verses in your mind. And when that attraction comes, pray for that person and then quote Scripture. And then next, remove yourself from any situation that could be tempting. Remove yourself from any situation that could be tempting. Don't let yourself stay in a vulnerable spot. You know what? That may, be, may mean you have to change jobs. Sometimes it means you have to move from where you live. Don't let any situation that can be tempting stay in your life. Remove yourself from it. Be like Joseph in Genesis chapter 29. 
Remember when Potiphar tried to get him to be immoral and to lie with her? He ran out. She grabbed his coat and held on to it, but he ran out of the house. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 8 says, Flee fornication. Flee. Now, if there was one of our kids that came in here this morning, and they came up to the front of the church here, and they had a coat on, and they opened their coat up, and they have a skunk underneath their coat. I, having been raised in the country as a boy, would say, there's a skunk in here, flee! Would you know what flee meant? Would you know that flee does not mean see how close you can get to the skunk without getting sprayed? Amen? When it comes to sexual sins, it seems like we want to see how close we can get without crossing the line. God says flee. God says run. So we see an unlawful love. Secondly, I want you to see an uncontrolled uncontrolled emotions. Go back to verse number 2 with me again, chapter 13. It says, And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar. In other words, he fell sick for her. We would say he, he was love sick. I would say he was lust sick. And there's a big difference. Love says, I'm going to give and do whatever's best for you. Lust says, I'm going to get and do whatever's best for me. I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to satisfy me. True love says, I care more about you than I do about me. Amnon was consumed with lust. You know, it's interesting. He had a father who couldn't say no, so he was used to getting his own way. He couldn't take no for an answer either. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, it says, Then Adonijah, the son of Hegeth exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And notice this, and his father, that's talking about David, had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why hast thou done so? And he also was a very goodly man, and his mother bare him after Absalom. Again, you find David had not displeased him at any time. Here's a man with uncontrolled emotions. Then I also see an undisciplined mind. In verse number 2, again it says, He was so vexed that he fell sick with his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. He filled his mind with lustful thoughts about Tamar, and he became a slave to those thoughts. People are addicted today to wrong thinking. Pornography is an addiction. A lot of television programs, wrong thinking, video games, Netflix and YouTube and TikTok and all of those things. I know there's some good things on on the internet, but there's a lot of bad things on there. And if we aren't careful, we become addicted to wrong thinking. We're bombarded with wrong thinking over and over all the time and we become addicted to it. As Christians, the Bible tells us we are to bring every thought into captivity. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. When we have a thought that's not pleasing to the Lord, God says, I'm to bring it into captivity and in obedience to Christ. 
In other words, if it's not pleasing to the Lord, I've got to get it out of my mind. Undisciplined mind. And then he also had an unhealthy friendship. Verse number 3, it says, But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. Jonadab could manipulate Amnon. How many of you know somebody that's easily manipulated or somebody who is able to manipulate other people? This is the type of person that, that, that Amnon or Jonadab was. He could manipulate Amnon. How many of you understand that bad company can corrupt good character? Amen? Parents, you need to be aware of who your children's friends are. David did not take warning, nor did Tamar. Look, if you will, with me at verses 6 and 7. It says, So Amnon lay down and made himself sick. And when the king was come to see him, that's David, Amnon said unto the king, I pray thee, let Tamar, my sister, come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat at her hand. He didn't pay attention. David didn't listen to the warning. Verse 7, And David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go now to thy brother Amnon's house and dress him meat. Neither one of them listened to the warnings. There are four key areas that our teens have to deal with. They have to deal with their loves. They have to struggle and deal with their emotions. They deal with their mind and their thoughts. And they have to deal with their friends. Four key areas that they have to deal with. Don't let them have unhealthy friendships. Guard their social media. You ought to have access to their phone, to all of their electronic devices, dad and mom, and you should have their passwords. There should be no secrets. And let me take it a step farther. Husbands and wives should have the same privilege and accountability. No secrets. So we see Amnon's problem. He had an unlawful love. He had an uncontrolled emotions. He had an undisciplined mind. The best way to deal with that undisciplined mind is Scripture. Get the Word of God in there. And then he had an unhealthy friend, friendship. So we see his problem. Secondly, I want you to see Amnon's plans. What, what's he going to do? What are his plans? Look at verse number 4 with me. He said unto him, this is, this is Jonadab's talking to Amnon. He said unto him, Why art thou being the king's son lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab said unto him, Lay thee down on thy bed and make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to thee, to see thee, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come and give me meat and dress the meat in my sight that I may see it and eat at her hand. These plans were suggested by Amnon's so-called friend. They led to his violent death later on. Some friend that guy really was. Much like a friend who would introduce you to drugs or alcohol or immorality. I remember a man who was here in our church years ago. He even worked with our teenagers for a little while. Some things happened in their family. He went through a divorce. And he was working one day at his job. He'd been working there for years. And some of the guys after work one day, they said, Oh, come on, why don't you go with us? We're going down to the bar to have a drink. And he said, he said I don't drink. I've never drank in my lifetime. I don't. And they kept on, why don't you just go down, just, have, just go down and sit with us for a little while and talk. And, Finally, they talked him into it, and he went down to the bar and took a drink. In just a short time, that man was an alcoholic. 
And his life went down and down. I visited him over at Drake Hospital over in Cincinnati. He had a trach in his, in his throat and he, he was struggling. He was there probably for five or six months and came home for a little while and then passed away. But it all came because he listened to some people who said, just go have a drink with us. And destroyed his life. Look at verse number three. It says, Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimei, Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very, what's the next word? Subtle man. He was very subtle. You see, Amnon's friend, Jonadab, never suggested that he commit rape. He was very subtle about it. Just go and have your father send your sister in to make some food for you, all alone, the two of you. You see, there are three things about sin we better remember. One is sin will take you farther than you want to go. Secondly, sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And thirdly, sin will always cost you more than you want to pay. It always does. So we've got to be on guard and be careful. Then also notice Amnon's preparation. Verse 6 down through 10, we've read some of those verses already. He talks to David, his father. He has him send his daughter. He's preparing. He's getting everything all ready. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 says to us, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Amnon is making preparation for sin. He's not fleeing from it. Instead of fleeing, he's preparing. And David did not protect his daughter, but he sent her into a vulnerable situation. Could I say to you parents, you're playing with fire when you let your teenage daughters go out on a date alone? Especially with an unsaved man or woman. Sometimes even with saved people. Now I can hear your teenagers, they're going to say, I can't go alone, I, you just don't trust me. And you know what I say to that? You're right, I don't. Nor do I trust the devil, nor do I trust me. Amen? Don't go alone. You and I must build walls of protection around our children. And we must build walls of protection around ourselves. David didn't do that with Tamar. And Tamar made a terrible mistake. Company is a great protector. Sometimes it's a little brother, a little sister that goes along with them. Sometimes it's dad and mom, or dad or mom. But let me say this. Tamar was a victim. Nothing justifies what Amnon did to her. She was the victim. So we see the plot. We see the people. Thirdly, I want you to see the perversion. The perversion that's given here. In verse number 11, you see the evil that was proposed. It says, And when she had brought him them unto him to eat, he took hold of her and said unto her, Come lie with me, my sister. The perversion... You cannot think like Amnon thought without eventually acting like Amnon acted. His thoughts became acted out. 
And then you see the temptation refused in verse 12. And she answered and said, Nay, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing ought to be done in Israel and ought not be done anywhere else either. Do not thou this folly. Tamar gave four reasons why he should not do that. First of all, she said it's against God's law. It's against God's law. Premarital sex is against God's law. Extramarital sex is against God's law. Perversion is against God's law. And the answer is not Planned Parenthood. And the answer is not safe sex. The answer is abstinence and obeying the Lord. God wants maximum pleasure with minimum pain. And if we'll do it God's way, we can have maximum pleasure. So it's against God's law. Secondly, she said, it will will disgrace me. Look at verse 13. And I, whither shall I cause my shame to go? And as for thee, thou shalt be as one of the fools in Israel. She said, this is going to disgrace me. Rape, sexual abuse, incest. Victims tragically oftentimes blame themselves. And whether or not she blamed herself, I don't know. But she said, this is going to shame me. Where where am I going to get away from the shame of what I have to deal with of the sin that I've gone through? It'll disgrace me. And then she said, it'll damage you. For she said in verse 12, do not this folly. In verse 13, she said, and as for thee, thou shalt be as one of the fools of Israel. You're going to be considered a fool. It's going to damage you. They will discover that you are really a wicked fool. And again, verse 12, she said, do not this folly. And then fourthly, she said, it's the wrong time and the wrong way. Look again at verse 13. She said, And I, whither shall I cause my shame to go? And as for thee, thou shalt shalt be as one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, speak unto the king, for he will not withhold me from thee. She said, go to the king, do it the right way. Let him take care of it in the right way. It's the wrong time and the wrong way. Whenever we try to do things the wrong time and the wrong way, we always end up in trouble, don't we? And it always causes problems. Then I want you to notice also the wickedness that was committed. Verse 14. Howbeit he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her. He was stronger. He forced her. He raped her. You know what's interesting? God tells us this story, but God omits all the details, doesn't he? Because God doesn't want to tempt us just by reading through the story. I'm glad we have a God that cares about us. So we see the people, we see the plot, we see the perversion. Notice with me the postlude. The postlude. What happens after this sin takes place? Notice the consequences for this couple. First of all, for him, perverted feelings. Look at what happens to him, verse 15. Then Amnon, after he has raped his his half-sister, then Amnon Hated her exceedingly. Remember earlier it said he was sick, of, sick with love. Now he hates her exceedingly so that he hate, the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he loved her. And Amnon said unto her, Arise and be gone. His feelings were not ever true love. They were perverted lust. Amnon could never know God's blessings in his life again until he made this whole situation right with God. 
And for you and for me, we will not have God's blessings in our life until we make our sin and our failure right. Thank God he does forgive and thank God he does cleanse, but we've got to make it right. We must confess our sin and make it right with God and make it right with the person. Until we do that, there's going to be a roadblock in our life between us and God. You cannot just sweep sin under the carpet. You can't do it. So for him, it was perverted feelings. For her, it was perpetual shame. Verse 17, then he called his servant that ministered unto him and said, put now this woman out from me and bolt the door after her. And she had a garment of divers colors upon her for which such, for with such robes were the king's daughters that were virgins apparelled. Then his servants brought her out and bolted the door after her and Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garment of divers colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went out crying. Tamar, perpetual shame. There's no indication in the story, but evidently Tamar didn't know that God could heal. And I want to say to you this morning, thank God we do have a God who not only can forgive, but he also can heal the offended person too. God can bring healing. And then notice the consequences to the family, the pitiful relationships. In verse 21, you have an angry father. He says, but when King David heard all these things, he was very wroth. He was angry. And then you have a bitter brother, verse 23. And Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister. And as you go down, down through the rest of the chapter, you find that he made preparation and eventually killed his brother. What consequences? What pitiful relationship? There's always great consequences for sin. You can make your choices, but you can never choose the consequences. A bitter brother. And then there was also a separated son. In verse 34, after Absalom had killed Tamar, or not Tamar, Amnon, verse 34 says, but Absalom fled. And the young man that kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there came much people by the way of the hillside behind him. And then look down at verse 39. And the soul of King David longed to go forth unto Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon, seeing he was dead. Angry father, that's David. Bitter brother, that's Absalom. He hates Amnon. He kills him, murders him. And now Absalom has to flee and be separated from his father who is the king. All of these consequences that came up. What do we do about all of this? First of all, we got to deal with broken relationships. Deal with the broken relationships. In verse number 29, it says this, it says, and the servants of Absalom did unto Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and every man got him up upon his mule and fled. You don't deal with broken relationships by running. We've got to deal with broken relationships and let God restore them and repair them. And then we've got to deal with lustful thoughts. No porn, no programs, no games, no internet stuff that's going to cause us to have lustful thoughts. And we must make a commitment to stay pure and clean before our marriage. Make a commitment to stay faithful in our marriage. Make a commitment to protect our sons and our daughters. And make a commitment to deal with the past failures in our life. Confess them. 
Make them right. Make it right with God. Make it right with the person. Get back in fellowship with the Lord. I'm glad that when we fail, it's not final. God can forgive and God can restore. But what a tragedy in this chapter because of the sin and the wickedness of a man. And it started out with David and went on to his son and, and to the rest of the family. Our families, God wants them to be a little bit of heaven on earth. But even David, a man after God's own heart and the king of Israel, if his family could have so much problems, what, what makes us think we couldn't have problems in our families? Amen? But that doesn't mean that we're guaranteed failure. If we'll listen to the warnings, the New Testament tells us that these things in the Old Testament are given to us for our examples. If we'll listen to them, if we'll deal with them, we can have a successful family and we can have victory, but we've got to hear and heed the warnings and do what God wants us to do. So let me ask you this in closing this morning. How's your family? Is it dysfunctional? Or are you following the, the plan of God for your life? How's your thought life? Are you dwelling on things? You can't keep thoughts from coming to your mind, but you can keep that yourself from dwelling on them. You need to confess some past failures and make them right. And let me ask you this lastly. Is there anything off limits going on in your life? Deal with it now before it ends up like a Tamar and an Amnon being killed and an Absalom committing murder. You see, if we start back here, deal with them when they're little, they don't magnify and become great. And we have much greater consequences later in our life. Tough story, but some great warnings for us, amen, and cautions. We don't have to have a family like David. We can have a godly family. It'll bring glory to the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the warnings. You know what's in each of our hearts and minds and lives and families. Would you help us to do a little inventory today? To check our lives out. And to submit to you. Take the steps that are necessary to do what's right. We'll not have to face the consequences later on. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.